It's to open God's word with you again. Thank you, Kristen, for that, those words of encouragement. You know, people look at brokenness and emptiness, and they, as Brother Terry was telling me during break, why are you so negative? It's an admission to the truth. And it's coming to the mission of the truth that it enables us to receive what God has for us. And uh, every one of us as in Christ Jesus, we've been brought there. We've been taken to the place of brokenness and humility so that he can fill us. He can make a new creature. He can create a new man in us. Well, I invite you this morning to open your Bibles with me to Matthew 20. And we want to look at at a passage of Scripture here that is uh, a standalone passage again. But if you've been following the sequence the last, and I don't expect you to, by the way, uh, it's been several weeks since I've preached here. But the first, in the first, we looked at at the the caricature or the the description Jesus gave in Matthew twenty three of the of the Pharisees and false religion, their false humility, their false faith, their false belief in God, and then as we also looked at uh, at the what 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 it means to be be a true believer in Jesus Christ. It's one who hears the word of God in Matthew 13 and he he believes it and he's made a new creation and there's a there's fruit of righteousness that comes from his life. And so I want us to look at another passage that Jesus uh, where Jesus describes to us what it means to be a servant of the Lord. And that's the title of this message, The Servant of the Lord. And he is called in the scriptures, the servant of the Lord. Jesus Christ is ultimately the servant whom we, whom we follow. We are servants under the servant. We are members of the household, but under the one who is head of the household. Let's begin reading here in Matthew 17, Matthew 20 and verse 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and on the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. They said, we are able. So he said to them, 
you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, as we pause here, we ask for grace from your throne for the Holy Spirit to open your word to us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that receive, a brokenness in a contrite spirit, Lord, that you may dwell with us and live in us, and you may be our God and we may be your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, as we come to this passage Jesus is being very clear. We have three points here concerning the servant of the Lord. Number one, we have the suffering servant. We have the suffering servant and all that he is to endure and suffer. And then next we have the servant leader. And lastly, we have the teaching servant. And so let us, let us, uh, let us, let us jump in here in verse 17. They're going to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to his death. He knows he's going to his death. This is the third time he's told his disciples, I'm going to die. And this is the purpose that I'm going for, for, to die is to save sinners. He is totally committed to the will of God. Now, not only, not only has Je- it was Jesus born in a poor, in a, in a downcast society, not only was he born in a place in a time when it was difficult to make a living, it was difficult to survive, there was many diseases, he, he was fraught with the, the mental an emotional anguish of a people who were in slavery and bondage to the Romans. At some point when Jesus was a boy, there was a group of men who rose up against the Romans. And to make a public display of them, Rome took and killed 135 men and posted their bodies on crosses along a main highway in, in Israel. Just to make a demonstration, just to show that you don't mess with us. So Jesus is not in a, in a time and place where it's, it's luxurious living. It's, it's a, not abundance like we have today. It's not, not ease. And we, we, he couldn't, it wasn't just freedom to, to do whatever you please. He's talking to a people who are bound. He's talking to a people who are actually under foreign rule and if you understand Israel 
there the 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 sign that God was with them was that he gave them their kingdom and they were the smallest of people, the least of people, the weakest of people, and he gave them freedom and gave them prosperity and he gave them military success as a nation. They were a strong nation. And you read Psalm 46 where he says, walk about Jerusalem, mark her bulwarks, look at all the things that God has done in the the the, the the people of the land, they come by and they look at it and they, they, they leave in a hurry because they're trembling at the power and might that God displays through Israel. But Israel went into idolatry. And Israel is now in a place where she is returned to her own land, but she's captive in her own land. And the people there believed that if God is going to send the Messiah, he's going to deliver them from the captivity that is in the land. Now he's going to deliver them. He's going to send a king who's going to reign over them. And you got to understand this, this, was, this dominated the thinking of the, of, the, of the people of the Jews of that day. Even amongst the disciples. And so it was, it was, a, it was an attitude of looking at Christ as for us here and now. And the disciples are just beginning to to understand as they believe upon him that there's there's the deeper dimension there's the eternal dimension there's the spiritual dimension there's the there's the the love of Christ that passes all knowledge there's the peace with God there's the the joy that comes in knowing him but that didn't do away with the fact that they believe something should happen and would happen in their day Jesus is resolved that he is going to obey God's will at all cost. The suffering servant, he has suffered, he has suffered tremendously all his life. But he is going to go to the ultimate suffering. And that is to go to Jerusalem to his death. If we hold our finger here, let's look at Luke 18. And in verse 31, and let's look at what Jesus has to say there. It's the same, it's Luke's rendering of the same uh, situation, the same time frame, the same, at the same place. In Luke 8, verse 31, he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. What Jesus is telling them is, is that everything that the prophets wrote about him, he is committed to doing. He's committed to that happening. Because the will of God meant more to Jesus than his personal comfort. The will of God meant more to him than his life here. The will of God meant more to him than anything else, any approval of man, any, anything that he could have here. We notice how the Satan, when he tempted him in the wilderness, he says, you know, command that these stones be made bread, you can have it well here with you. He says, take yourself up to 
a pinnacle of the temple and throw yourself off and, and let God keep you in front of the people and they will lift you up. Jesus had already faced the temptation of bowing down to this idolatry and to this, this work of Satan to make something temporary that man would approve of. But I want us to note that what Jesus is doing goes against the grain of man and is for the approval of God. God was the one, the Holy Spirit wrote the, New, the Old Testament prophecies. It's through the Holy Spirit that God's will was shown what would happen to His suffering servant. So He is committed and He's to the will of God and He's submitted to the Father in all these things. And notice that even as He's going, He pulls the disciples to the side and He says, I need to talk with you about these things. And this is something that we must understand that Jesus, as though he knew the, the, the suffering he would face, he was not distraught about the suffering that he would go through. He pulled his disciples aside and he said, I just want, I want to communicate with you what it is that I am, we are about to face. Now, he communicated to his disciples and if you look over at the Luke passage in Luke 18 in verse 34, it says, But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Jesus was communicating to them, and all the while they weren't getting it, and he knew they weren't getting it. And yet he was willing to commit himself to go to the cross, knowing that even his closest disciples would not understand until afterwards. Not only this, he faced his suffering. Notice he says, we are going up to Jerusalem. This is something we are doing. One of the scriptures says he set his face as a flint. He was, he was not going to be deterred from what God had called him to do. He would suffer physical injury and death, and it says here, by the scourge and by the cross. He was going to be beaten to within an inch of his life, and in the end, he was going to give his life on the cross. Now, notice what he says. He says that he's going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. The chief priests and the scribes, and I think Jesse brought this out Wednesday evening, they were, they were the Sadducees. They were the people who... who who hated Jesus because he taught that there was a there was eternal life in uh, in in what he was in his in himself and in God and that there was a resurrection from the dead and that there was a, a spiritual realm and that they were wrong to enforce the 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 rule as though they were God. And so he's going to be delivered up by these men. These are the men that hated him. They're going to mock him. They're going to scourge him. And they're going to crucify him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Notice that it says that he will be betrayed to them. 
And that's where it starts. He'll be betrayed to them. That means that one of the disciples he knew would betray him into the hands of those who hated him. So not only is he going to face physical pain and, 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 and torment, he's going to face the mental and emotional anguish of a close friend who betrayed him. One who, is, who has, how does it say in the Old Testament, who has sat in my bosom, has lifted his heel against me, he says. And so the chief priests, they had no authority to put anybody to death. So what do they do? They deliver him to the Romans, and the Romans crucify him. So it's, it's, it's a multi-level betrayal. It's a, first of all, betrayal of his own friends. Then it's a betrayal of the people among whom he was born. And lastly of all, it's a betrayal in general of the creation of those whom he created. Let's not forget the hands that drove the nails into Christ were hands he made. The people who condemned him to death were people he created. Let's not forget that. And so this is the ultimate betrayal. This is the ultimate suffering. And then on the cross, he faced God himself, turning away his face, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think of all the times that God could turn his face away from Christ. It was this time. But so it was that the will of God was fulfilled. He knew the purpose of his suffering. He knew that that suffering and that death was going to result in the fact that the Lord himself, the Father himself, would raise him from the dead. And that there would be a new generation. There would be a new creation. There would be new, a new people who would follow him. But let's look at what that entails. In Isaiah 53, <clears throat> if we'll just turn there for just a minute, this, this portrayal of the suffering servant goes back into the Old Testament. In Isaiah 53, I want to look at a few verses here. Isaiah 53, verse 6, verses 4 to 6. Sorry, I've got the wrong place here. Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We were healed. All we like sheep have turned astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. And though he carried them and bore them, they were not his own. He was smitten by God in that day. He was afflicted for our sins. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded because we stepped across the line. He's wounded because we transgressed the law of God. He is bruised because we have the propensity to continue to miss the mark and to transgress the law of God. He was wounded not just because we did it one time, but because we did it many times because there's a heart within us that is defiled and leads us to do this continually. And yes, the chastisement for our peace. The chastisement so that we might be brought to God was laid upon Him. The death blow that we should have received to satisfy for God's righteous judgment, though it could never have been satisfied even by our condemnation and death, He was satisfied when Christ died. Because the the innocent, the pure, the holy, the undefiled, the perfect, the righteous, the glorious Son of God received the death blow for defiled, corrupted, sinful humans who hated Him. God is satisfied. He says justice has been served. For my children. And we notice that in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. God looked upon the wrath upon upon Christ as he was bearing our sin, and he he released, he poured out his cup of wrath unmixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was finished, he said he was satisfied. It pleased the Lord because, why? Because by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. He went to the death so many would be made righteous and live. And God was satisfied. And what we see here is Christ in in Matthew 20. What we see here is Christ understanding what was for him to do. He suffered not because he did anything wrong, not because he was out of the way, not because he opened his mouth at the wrong place. He suffered because it pleased God. He chose to suffer and please God rather than to have some pleasure here and God not be pleased. You know, friends, we've never done that in perfection. There's no man here, no woman here, that could say that that's how they lived. We, live, we, we cater to this 
to this body. We cater to our flesh. We want ourselves to be comfortable and to live. He went to the death to please his father, regardless of what it costs. Are you committed this morning to follow Jesus, even though it will mean suffering for righteousness' sake? You see, we cannot suffer, atone for anybody's sins. But when Jesus there tells them that they will indeed be baptized with the baptism he is baptized with, every child of God is baptized with suffering. There is an element of suffering that must come into our lives. It is that which God is at, which tells us God is at work. We are suffering though we are at peace with him, but it was, it's a suffering for righteousness' sake. What do you do? What do you do with the truth that Christ who is just suffered for the unjust that he might bring us to God? What do you do with that truth? You just brush it off? You say, well, I wasn't that bad. Certainly, I didn't do that. Yes. He placed our sin upon his precious son so that we might have life. He became sin for him. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when we're called to suffering, do you run from it? Do you avoid it? Or do you suffer willingly for the right things? You see, when suffering comes our way, sometimes we run from it. Or others will try to ignore it altogether as though it's not even a thing that's there. Others yet will try to put themselves in their own fantasy world to escape the pain of suffering. We find somebody here who did that. But this morning, my friend, are you facing your fear? Where, you, where, are, where is your fear? What brings fear to your heart? At what point does suffering cause you to fear? Our Lord has taken that already. He is the one who has made the way through suffering. And so, my friend, count it all joy because he's given you the privilege of partaking with him in suffering for righteousness. Jesus never subjected himself to fleeing the pain, to, to, to doing something just to back off the suffering because it would meant compromising the truth. Compromising the will of God. But he, he faced it. So I want us to think this morning, each one of us, observe carefully the life of Christ. 
Measure the cost to follow Christ. Measure how much He suffered to bring us to God. And ask yourself this. Is anything too hard for Him? Is any suffering too difficult for Him? Is any pain too hard, too, too much for Him? Because He is the one who has borne our griefs and He has carried our sorrows. If we're a child of God, suffering's part of the plan and we can't avoid it. So I want to ask us, are we going to the one who bore the suffering of sin for us? There's where we lay our burdens. There's where we give up our pride. There's where we humble ourselves and receive from him and find rest for our souls. Let's look at the servant leader. Not only was he suffering servant, but let's look at the servant leader, beginning in verse 20. We find here Mrs. Zebedee. She comes with her sons. She wants to make a request from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as she comes, she kneels down wanting to, to, to ask him something. And she said, I want one of my sons to sit on the right hand and one on the left. And I would like for you to just declare that right now in your kingdom. You see, part of the problem with this is she skipped over the suffering and went into the kingdom. When the saints will be gathered together in Christ's kingdom to reign with him. And she wanted to bypass what he had just said. It was an attempt to go around and to bring, make sure her sons will get places of honor. This is not a totally bad request, but it's missing the point. The, the, it's actually a noble request. You know, what mother would not or parent would not want their children in the kingdom of God, on the right hand and on the left hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, would to God, all my children would be there. And that's, that's, how, that's how we think. That's how we feel. That's, that's, our, that's, our, that's our desire. But she and the disciples are still thinking of an earthly kingdom. They're still thinking of something that Jesus is going to set up here. And, and Jesus looks at her and he says, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. They said we are able before they understood what he was about to face. In fact, let's notice Jesus' answer. He says, you are able. No, he says, he says, you will indeed drink 
my cup. He does not say, you will drink the cup that I will drink, but you will drink my cup. Let's understand, he, they didn't get what he was saying. The cup he was to drink was the cup that in the garden where he, where he said, Father, remove this cup if it is not against your will. But nevertheless, your will be done. What's the cup that he had to drink? It is the wrath, the wine of the wrath of God that was poured out without mixture. God was taking out his wrath on his son. And there is no way any human being is going to drink that cup. You know, the, the wrath of God in a moment destroys any, any of the best of us. When God pours it out on his son... It is to deal with the sin he is carrying. Let's notice. He says, you will indeed drink my cup. What was his cup? What cup does Jesus offer to his children? Not the one God gave to him. But it's the one he gives to his children. It is the cup of salvation. It is the cup that comes with receiving Christ. It's salvation from our sin. Now, the cup that, that they would drink would come with the baptism, and that is a baptism of suffering. They would, too, be immersed into suffering. You know, you could look at the physical aspect of Christ's death, and you could say, well, there are some people that suffered longer and there's some people peter was crucified upside down that's that's that has to be more traumatic than being crucified right side up but peter was not bearing the wrath of god jesus went to the cross bearing the wrath of god so god's cup of wrath was given to Christ. And the baptism of suffering that Jesus suffered was to save us from God's wrath. And likewise, when we participate with Him in that salvation, there's suffering that comes along with it. There's suffering that we'll be, we will be immersed into. Because there's a battle. There's a war going on. When Christ gave himself for us, he took out the power of Satan. And the remnants of satanic power that is left is all, upon, is all focused upon hindering the work that he completed on the cross. And so, yes, we'll suffer. All of God's children are immersed into his suffering. All of his, all of his children will suffer for his sake. Now let's notice what else he says. He says his, his servant leadership is not just uh, 
to rebuke what is wrong here. But let's notice what he says. To, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But is for those whom is, for whom it is prepared by my Father. Jesus understood that as the servant leader of his people, he was under the authority of his Father. Although he would have dearly wanted to give this to James and John. If that would have been the case, it wasn't his to give. It was his father's. Let's understand something about, about leadership from Christ. A true leader is one who's a faithful follower. And even Jesus himself, when he made, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and having come, he was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. And he did all this having been equal with God. He humbled himself now. And placed himself under the authority of his father. In such a way that the only thing he did was what his father wanted him to do. I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life because they come down from heaven. They were the words of God. And brothers and sisters, as we think about this, the kingdom of heaven falls under divine authority. And that divine authority is the best authority that anyone could ever come under. It is life giving authority and as we look at what jesus is saying here he's saying the way god wants it is the best way it could possibly be and that's how it will be for eternity when you look at leadership today are you and i like mrs ebedee we're enamored with the power. We're enamored with the position. Are we enamored with the honor? Are we enamored with the ability to do something others can't do? Or are you as Christ who humbled himself and followed and followed God? followed his father see true leadership is following the one who is over you true leadership comes as we learn to follow servant leadership is learning to serve and being help and helping others to serve jesus didn't come looking for a position and for power and for a place but he came looking to seek and to serve and to save that which was lost. If someone is unable or is unwilling to follow Christ and to suffer for his, for his sake, he is not able to lead. If someone is unable or unwilling to follow Christ and suffer for his sake, he is not able to lead. 
Leadership comes as we learn to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Not only was this leadership uh, right leadership, but we find that it was covenant leadership. We hold our finger here. Let's go back to Isaiah 42. And Jesus is referring him, he is placing himself in line with the scriptures. Nothing that he did or said sidesteps the, the, the will of God in the scriptures. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my spirit, my soul delights. I, will, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. God, says, God himself is saying, this is the one I've chosen. This is my elect servant. He is the one in whom my soul delights because there's no fault in him. There's no how will you, ambition to, to exalt himself over God. He gladly humbled himself. He freely gave up the glories of heaven. God said, that one I delight in because he's humbled himself to serve and to give himself for his people. Let's, let's look at verses 6 to 7 here in Isaiah 42. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. <clears throat> I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Notice what he says. I have called him, called you in righteousness, and will hold your hand. The reason Christ was able to go through with the cross is because Though God forsook him on the cross, the Holy Spirit was there with him and leading him and teaching him and telling him what to say in the human body. He was fully God and fully man. And as we, as we think about this, he never lost any of his deity to become man. In, his, in other words, there was nothing that he gave up that he didn't get back except that he is now in heaven as a as a as a man as human but when he laid himself down notice that he says the lord said i'm there to hold his hand and then he says i'm going to deliver those out of sin he didn't come so that he can lord it over there's a time when he's going to rule with a rod of iron and he's going to break the wicked, but to, in this time he's saving his people from their sins and he's pulling them out of the prison houses. He's opening their eyes. He's giving them the ability to trust him. He's given them new life. So he not only does he teach us that 
He is God, but we understand that his authority is not like ours. We're men who want to use it for our advantage. God says he's going to use it to serve those who are in bondage and in sin. In order for anyone to serve, friends, they must first be served by Christ. Now let's look back here at Matthew 20. Again, we want to finish up here. <clears throat> and when, they, when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Let him... He, when whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Notice how that when Jesus is under the authority of God, he's teaching his, his disciples. He's, he's not only a, a suffering servant. And not only is he a servant leader, but he is a servant teacher. He says, he calls them to himself. And this is what teaching, good teaching, good preaching should do. It should be calling the children of God to hear the word of God. It is, it is that which orders the, the life in the will of God. And he says... You know that the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them. And this is something that, that is out of order in this world. Is the way that men use their authority. In fact, there's two things that Jesus said you shall not be like the Gentiles. Number one is how you use your authority. Number two is how you use your money. Both have to do with power. Authority that comes from God is that which is used for the glory of God. If it cannot be used to the glory of God, then it, it has its roots in man-centered, man-pleasing self-indulgence. Men want to rule over others and lord it over others for their own advantage. But Jesus says that when I come, my lordship is not in this way. And because it's not in this way, neither shall it be among you. See how he's teaching them? He's bringing order to things that were wrong in their life. They wanted to arbitrarily take the positions and the reason the disciples were so displeased because i believe they all had that aspiration they all wanted to be somebody in the kingdom of god they all had the the idea that i could if i could just be beside christ i could really straighten some people out and jesus said you come you don't come as one who has authority you come as one who is a servant and the authority rests in God. Brothers and sisters, 
I think it's time that we not only measure leadership, but we measure the greatness of the kingdom of God and observe Christ carefully. Observe Christ carefully. How that he never violated the law of God in any way to ease his own suffering. And that he never once took authority upon himself that was not his to take. And friends, unless we understand something about the authority of God upon our life and we also assume the servant's role and we assume the place of giving as Christ did. Christ, what does he say here? He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, what, what does a king do when he sits on his throne? You know, if he wants a cup of coffee, somebody has a cup of coffee for him immediately. If he wants a pillow for his feet, somebody brings him a pillow. If he wants somebody to die, they die because he wants it that way. If he wants somebody to be taken out of prison, they're taken out of prison. And he said, I didn't come here to serve me. I came here to serve and to give his life a ransom for me. Service in reality is me laying my life down. Let's look at Christ first of all. He served by laying down his life so that we may have eternal life. You and I, friends, are called to follow. And we can't give anybody eternal life, but we can lay down our lives to serve others. To be a blessing to others. To be a help to others. To be a comfort to others. To even be a rebuke to others. That's sometimes the hardest place to serve. Is that is that when we know something is wrong and we, we, we don't want the, the uh, we don't want to be thought ill of and we refuse to say the truth because we don't want to create bad feelings. And Jesus never fell to that. And as we think about this this morning, I would like for us to measure the greatness of Christ. We need to look. We need to dig. Because he humbled himself. Not only was he a suffering servant. We need to measure. Yes he was a suffering servant. We need to measure. Suffering by Christ. But he was a. Servant leader. And he was a teaching servant you know someone that that truly wants to teach is someone who must humble themselves and give and minister to not be ministered to so this morning i want to ask you what's what's your attitude when you consider what God would have you to do in his kingdom. 
so many times we want to, to go out and we want to change the world. Heard a story this week about a young nurse that <clears throat> at the end of the Korean War was sent by a church to the mission field. As she went to this mission field, she had high aspirations, noble aspirations, that she was going to change the world. But as she got to her place where she was to serve, she was put under a head nurse who was very authoritarian, who did things by the book and required strict accountability. And she chafed under that. She despised this, this nurse's authority. And as they were there, one morning there was a knock on the door. And she opened the door and this, there was a man that just lay on the steps who was just emaciated and he was, he was almost dead. He, had, he was filthy and dirty. He reeked. He had bugs crawling over him. He just, just horrible, in a horrible shape. Immediately, she jumps back in horror, and she's, she's gagging because she just about can't compose herself. And this older, older nurse, the, her head nurse, swept right past her, right out to this man and picked him up, took him to, to a bed, began to wash him up and clean him up. And as she observed what that nurse did, she realized, I have no idea what it's like to really serve. Sometimes we need to be humbled before we can serve. And we need to be willing to receive that. Just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many. And unless... We are served by Christ. We're not ready to serve. Unless Christ has taken our sin upon himself and given us his righteousness and his humility and his goodness, we're not ready to serve. And this is a continuing thing that must go on. Not, yes, there's only one new birth, but there must continue to be a growing in our giving up of ourselves and receiving the life of Christ to grow. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, as we come before you, we thank you for your word and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and that he came not to be ministered to, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would raise up among us servants who love you, who follow you, worship you, and submit to your will. Give us grace, Lord, that we may serve as we ought to serve. We commit ourselves to you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.